Yes, yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. Any questions I ask myself when I question Thanks for making it to church the day after Halloween. Congrats if you're here with a hangover. There was a lot more laughs on that than I thought I was going to get. So, okay. Uh, don't know what that means. I'm going to process that leader pastor later. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I'm Corey. Uh, I'm, hey, what's up? Uh, I'm the online pastor at First Orlando, and I love getting to uh, teach and share uh, specifically with the next generation of young leaders because I think you're really, really important and you have a lot of important work to do um, because I work with the adults a couple generations ahead and around you, and they scare the living daylights out of me regularly. So like, lots of pressure. Do good, okay? Uh, <laughs> is that a fun way to start? Cool. Uh, I'm so, so glad. Uh, so I'm going to read to you, as I already mentioned, out of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, we're going to be talking about unity in the body and what that means in so many contexts, but I have to kind of own something personally before I share and continue, is that the last time I taught out of this passage uh, was in 2020, and everybody can collectively go, Ugh, don't talk to me about 2020 right? Nobody wants to hear about 2020. It's fine. Uh, I won't spend too much time on it because, ew, right? But the reason I share that with you is because before I moved to Orlando, I was a campus pastor at a church in New York, not too far from the city. So 2020 for me was pretty intense. And so the last time, as I was preparing this message, I was struggling so much with wanting to talk about it because I was having so many feelings about 2020 uh, and about really what, what we lost in all of that. And I won't say much more about it other than so much was uh, happening in the culture when last time I really thought about this passage. And what I really thought about was how much we all lost in 2020. I personally lost quite a bit. And I know we all have different experiences with what the pandemic looked like and all of those. And it, it is important to consider some of this as we talk about unity. But the reason I share it is because I was a pastor in New York. It was a tense time to be a pastor everywhere. It was really tense to pastor in New York. Uh, and so what we lost was some unity, the ability to just be together, right? We lost so many things. And I want to acknowledge that while culturally unity will feel more difficult than it has ever felt before, it will feel ambiguous and hard to define. You will feel frustrated by the term unity. We want to be together, Christians, or just people in general. The, the term unity has been misappropriated in so many different ways that it has almost become uh, impossible to define. So tonight, I'm not really even going to try. I'm going to embrace the title of the series that we're in is that it's Messy Church. And we're going to talk about uh, unity and diversity within uh, brotherhood and sisterhood of Christ outside of it. So if you believe in Jesus, you're into the whole thing or you're not, it's important for us to hear that unity is just a really difficult thing to uh, describe, define, and live. Okay, that's where we start. Uh, And for, for me, what was so hard about that in 2020 and that has stayed hard is Uh, I used to be a history teacher, uh, and that's what I studied before I became a pastor, before I stepped into ministry. Uh, And so what I know about unity in history is that it's always been this hard. Conflict and culture and family and disagreement has never been easy. It's always been hard. It's just been getting harder every couple of centuries. It just gets exponentially more difficult to try and be unified with Christians, 
just because we're so frustrating. Uh, and, but in general, in society and in culture, even now in family, and that, there's so much to consider here. Uh, because what I hear a lot, what I heard especially in 2020, this is why I share some of that. Uh, I pastored a campus where 25 people in my community died and I oversaw 25 funerals, most of them virtual, but between the months of March and June. So every other day I'm getting a phone call, so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. And we're trying to figure out how do we grieve well? How do we lose well? How do we, how do, we do any of the Christian church unity things? And it got harder and harder and harder and harder and harder as the days went on. I remember reading some of Paul's writings to the church thinking, what do you know, you idiot? Because it's way harder than, than what it looks like. And what I remember very vividly from, from God and why I share all of this context with you, I promise we're going to have more fun than this, okay? We're going to laugh a lot, okay? But we start this way because I felt very clear from God that unity is designed to be messy. And it is in that mess, it is in the conflict and in the weakness that you walk out in those ways that you become a church, that you draw near to God. But so much of what has been unity talk has only really been uniformity, um, and it's been lazy teaching, and it's not for any other rich reason than humans are kind of lazy, all of us instinctually. Uh, but unity can be a thing where you can hear something I say tonight, and you will disagree with me and you will withdraw entirely from the credibility of all 40 minutes of this talk. And that's culturally what, it's been, what, what exists now around so many things. But what if we don't do that? What if we say, oh, I heard something weird, disagreed with that, thought that sounded funny. All right, let's keep listening. Let's dialogue. There's story here that makes the context worth exploring because church and humanity and life is messy. And Jesus came to help sort some of that out. So I'm going to talk with you a little bit about those things. But what used to be unifying, I always heard that conflict and chaos is unifying. Uh, I didn't live in America on 9-11. I lived overseas. But I have heard so many people tell me, where were you on 9-11? I'm in Africa. Uh, I didn't hear about it for several days after. Right? But what I hear is like, oh, Americans were so unified. That's what I hear from my friends in America. But I hear different things from other parts of the world and people that I grew up with. And so what I have learned through observation, I also think about the royal family. Remember the royal wedding? Was anybody into the royal family, the royal wedding? Okay, they used to be universally beloved. Now they're mega controversial, right? There's so many things that we used to be able to rally around. I used to love uh, sports, and sports have become even really difficult to be fans of. Yeah, I remember one time I said I was a fan of a certain team, and someone in my, I was in New York, so New Yorkers and their sports, but I remember I said that I was a fan of the Boston Red Sox, and this person stopped coming to my church. They were just like, we're done, we're out, can't be, can't be led by a Red Sox. And I was like, whoa, um, okay. So there's, there's even those kinds of things, right? The, the, the extremes that we will go to not work at unity are real, because it's hard, not because it's uh, undesirable. I think we could all say we all want to be unified, live at peace, have comfort and joy and rainbows and sprinkles and all of the things that come with that, right? But it's really, really hard to attempt to achieve. So uh, I just want to acknowledge that most of the unity work that's left to be done, especially for your generation and for our churches, uh, is work that people walk away from because it gets really messy. We're going to acknowledge that and we're going to own it as we go. Uh, and so we are going to have some fun now. Uh, yesterday was Halloween, and I have a seven, almost eight-year-old, and uh, a five-year-old. She went as Ariel from Little Mermaid, 
and my son went as Darth Vader. And he, right? Can you just now, like now I have some credibility, right? My kids rock. Uh, and they have, mostly because of their mother. But it's, it's been so fun to watch them just be kids, right? So we're walking around. This is our first neighborhood uh, Halloween. And so we're walking around. And uh, today at lunch, uh, I was sharing with some people that I know who are also Christians. Uh, we got together for a lunch, and I was sharing my experience, and we went down a few blocks, and there was a big, fancy, like, full-size candy bar table, and then there was also, like, a full bar at the next table on the same driveway. And I was like, I've never seen that before. And then I went a few more houses down, and there it was again, but it was, like, a different selection. And then I went down again, and so I got through, like, 20 houses and had been offered alcohol, like, 80 times. Eight times, sorry, not 80. Eight times in, like, in like the three blocks around our neighborhood. And my wife and I, uh, we were just like, we were chuckling about it so hard. And as we walked and talked, we were like, what do we think about this? Our kids, duh. And we're, and we're like having this conversation, you know, like what, what, is, what is this like? We've never seen this before, right? So we're just considering it. And we kind of decided, based off our history, that, and I was sharing this with my lunch table, we kind of decided we thought it was awesome. And I said that out loud right after I had said, hey, we got offered alcohol eight times last night. And the person sitting directly across from me, right when I said, we thought it was kind of awesome, she goes, you kind of thought it was awful and disgusting? And we said it at the same time. And then there was just like this mega awkward silence, sort of like this half of the room was just then. And <laughs> okay, I'm going to come sit over here, see if we can talk to each other some more. Okay, uh, I, sh I share that to say, we don't think drinking alcohol and getting drunk is awesome. What we thought and what we were talking about, which I didn't get to say in my little blurb uh, when I said it was awesome, was wh where we are from in New York, that kind of stuff didn't happen. Neighbor neighborliness, even to an extreme degree, wasn't a part of our culture or life or neighborhood where, you know, New York, New Yorkers, New York City Minute is just really a thing. We're all fast-paced. We don't stop. We don't talk. We didn't know our neighbors. And they would certainly have never put out full bars of liquor for random strangers. It was just such an extreme difference that we liked what we thought was community desire. We saw and thought, oh, these might be people we could become friends with. We could know and influence and engage in a healthy, normal neighborhood. That would be like so exciting to us. That's what I was saying. The person across from me was like, I've just, alcohol has always been a repulsive thing in my life. I've never drank it, tasted it, been around it. And so after we had that awkward moment where literally everybody's like, what's going to happen? He's a pastor. Like, oh my goodness. We had this exchange and then we all started laughing. And there was just like an uncontrollable laughter for like three minutes. Because it was, it was our instincts to be apart and pause and defend and, and grapple over something that was so non-essential and gray. But it was, the, it was the tense moment that we all could just chuckle about. And as we talked, we laughed. And as we laughed, we remembered, oh, we're family. We're friends. We know how to do this. And even when we have minor and, and sometimes major disagreements... We don't walk away from the table. We stay there. We work it out. We converse. We storytell. We laugh. And as we go, we become more unified. So when I uh, read to you tonight, I want you to think about unity as a mess of work that is really importantly done and, and given to us some good instruction in Scripture. And if I can get my Scripture, I will tell you what Scripture we're going to read. There we go. Uh, we're not going to start in chapter 12. We're going to start with Paul's uh, 
opening chapter to the Church of Corinthians where he pleads with the church to be unified. And so it is kind of that approach I want to bring tonight is a bit of a plea to you. Uh, similarly to how Paul would plead to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, where he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. The word that he uses, appeal there, it, it's uh, to urge or to beg. And I kind of like the extreme. I was telling Britt Nelson I'm a pretty dramatic like person, and so I like that. It's like, beg. I'm begging you because I think it's that important. I'm a big guy. For me to beg, it looks stupid. But I'm begging because I mean it, because this, uh, this, this message means something to me. Paul's words should mean something to all of us because they inform how we live in community. But with the word division there, the Greek word that he uses is schisma, and it means split, division, schism, ripping, or tearing. I plead to you that you have no rippings or tearings. I plead to you where you start to feel disjointed from other people, where you feel the tension to withdraw from community that you would not, that you would cling to it, that you would pull to it, that you wouldn't allow for division. But unity is messy, it's hard work, and it requires much. So if you're taking notes tonight, uh, I want you to just write, unity is messy. Unity is messy is like the main thing you gotta get, and some other things. And these are not all encompassing things. These are not like, oh, these are these four things. It's not that. These are four ways that I think if we understand unity is messy and what it requires of us, we can take some important steps towards progress, but it's not like a be-all, end-all solution, right? And the way that I know that um, is that I am teaching my son how to ride a bike. I'm going to change the order of these, so stay with me here, uh, is I'm teaching my son how to ride a bike, and he is a very tall and awkward child. He's almost as tall as my wife. Like he's almost five feet tall and he's seven, like turning eight. So he's like nonsensically tall. And which means he has zero balance or like coordination, fine motor skill. He got nothing. And, uh, <laughs> and so it's been a very awkward uh, three years of teaching him how to ride a bike. And it's been really hard because he's in second grade. He wants to ride his bike to school. All of his friends can ride. He can't. And so I want you to watch him learn how to ride or attempt to ride his bike. Then we're going to read some scripture and talk and we're going to make some applications around what it, was, what it is like to learn how to ride a bike and specifically if you're a mega child. There you go. Oh, you almost had it. There you go. There you go. There you go. There you go. Oh, so close. That is it. If I, I couldn't get a longer video. He was getting really mad at me. Uh, if I would have showed you more, there were just tears. Like, he is just angry here. And you can't see it, right? But you see how awkward that was? Just like, I don't know how to make my feet work, Dad. It was that, right? And so I, I love that picture for how it is to be in community. Now we're going to look at Corinthians 12. Um, and Paul says in his appeal... An explanation and calling us to unity says, just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And so there's this church in Corinthians that Paul's writing to and he's, he's pleading for unity and calling them to something very basic to us, the analogy of a body and the way that it works. And he'll say more on that. But it, 
it was pretty basic. It wasn't as basic back then where science and understanding of physic or physiology, biology, I don't know, what's the study of the body? That one. It's, it, there, that wasn't what it was, right? There weren't loads of scientific terms for what things were. So Paul is writing and in his plea, he's using a pretty dramatic at that time not so basic or not so dramatic to us now, but a pretty dramatic and uh, vivid, understandable picture of what it looks like uh, to be. And he says in verse 15, now if the foot should say, so like obviously we don't do a lot of like hand and foot talk unless you're a parent and you do a lot of puppet shows uh, like I do. And now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. It's pretty basic, right? Your eye doesn't get to say I'm not an eye anymore. Your foot doesn't get to say you're not a foot anymore. And he's using these pretty extreme uh, languages for the day. Uh, It would not for that reason stop being part. If the whole body in verse 17 were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Many parts of one body. And I I like the where would the hearing be and where would the smell be? Because I think those are community images that we can all relate to. We all have somebody in our life who hears us best. We all have somebody in our life, hopefully is not smelling you too closely, but who knows, can like, you know the people who are like, I can just smell when something's off with you. Like they can just kind of see it. They know. They know you because they know you. Maybe it's a relative or maybe it's a friend. And maybe you're sitting there going, I don't have that person. And that's kind of what Paul's talking about. He's saying all of us come with these uh, extremes and all of us have these desires. We can't all be the same thing. We have very unique and important roles to play. And when we play them well, man, it can be a thing of beauty. It can be uh, my son learning how to ride a bike, which he has learned how to do now. And it was pretty special when he learned how to ride his bike. It was um, a pretty transformative thing, but it only came after he became aware of his body. So if you're taking notes, unity is messy and requires awareness. It requires awareness that we are, uh, especially if you're a Christ follower, but even if you're not, you're a human being on this earth with other human beings, there's some consideration to how we unify together, how we live at peace at least. We're all a part of the body. And so we have to be aware of that. Our actions have impact on good and bad and whether we are passive or impassive, we all have parts to play, not all of us play the same part. That's not like super complex. What can be complex is that Uh, being aware of that joins you instantly and frustratingly to other people and other people who are idiots, right? Like if you've ever been in a small group, if you've ever been connected to church people, you know that we're not all the brightest crayon in the box. Like you're here, you know, like, you you know, I told a story about drinking alcohol in my neighborhood. I'm probably going to get like 17 emails about that. I'm not brilliant. Um, No, it's not that. But there's something about being aware of the body that is awesome because you know there you can sense. Uh, if, you've, if you've been in church for a little while, you might have some experience for this, but if you haven't, it might sound very foreign to you, but when you become aware that the church family is a church family, it's like you first start to feel like you belong somewhere. You go, oh, 
there's a place for me that was very uniquely designed where like there's parts of me that God made very specifically to fit. That, that idea in a culture and in a world and in my life and upbringing that said uh, your, your existence might be uh, whatever you make it to be, but you're not made for this. Surely your design, you know, the things that are so good in us that not everybody knows, God's trying to say, hey, you have a place. In the place that we feel like maybe in some, of our, in some of our hard places, God has designed that for the work of unity, which is just messy, but it comes with awareness that our body has to start working together to make some forward progress. Something you saw my son struggle with, the balance of how do I get my left foot to push off? How do I get my right foot to hit the pedal? And then what happened, the best part of what happened, um, I will tell you after we read verse 21 together. Uh, see that I'm trying to build the tension. Are you awake? I know Halloween was like a long night, but we can do this together, fam. Uh, Okay, so unity requires awareness. And my son was learning all about his his body. And so uh, in verse 21, Paul writes to us, he says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the foot, I don't need you. And on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts, that was delicately put, right? Presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor, greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. The idea that we could rejoice and suffer together, it's again pretty foreign. My son learned how to ride his bike and I saw him when it all clicked. I saw like the moment in his brain where everything got and he just started going. And I was like three feet behind him. I don't have a video of this because it was terrifying. And we're, because we're on the street, there's cars, like we're, it, was, it was later in the day, it wasn't getting dark, but it was still like, oh, he figured it out and now he's going fast. And he got going. Uh, down our street and then he got close to where the end of the street is and he knows he doesn't he realizes you can just see it all happening it's clicked in his body he is going now just having the absolute time of his life until he realizes he doesn't know how to turn the bike and he doesn't know how to brake and so he has a helmet and pads on but you can just kind of hear the panic in his you can just uh, and then sure enough he just crashes right into a tree and he's just like mauled all to bits by this tree and he, he is distraught, right? Oh, Paxton, poor kid. Uh, it, was, it was a tough moment. Like, it was, I was screaming, you know, it was like, it was like the, one of the proudest moments of my life. I'm like, I'm like running behind, like, go Paxton, go. Oh my God, he's gonna die. Like, it was terrible. <laughs> like, I, if a car had come down the street at that moment, like, I'd have been put in parenting jail or something. It was bad. It was bad. I was like, oh my gosh, he got so fast. Because his, his legs are so long, like every pedal just moved him so far. And he felt, terrible about himself and about his ability to ride a bike and it it took us several more days to work back up to riding again and I I read this passage of uh suffering when someone suffering rejoicing when suffering when when someone rejoices and what that does in me is it points to something that's required we have to be aware of our body and the impact of our actions with the other parts of our body so that we can move together to make some progress. And that's an awkward, difficult thing to achieve. And when you do, it's usually because you've been humble enough to ask for help when you need it. 
And that's what unity requires. On top of awareness, it requires humility. If, if, I had, if I had been a smarter dad, so I'll give this caveat. If I had been a smarter dad, I would have taught him how to break first. But he got going. And he didn't want, once it all got going, and once he realized that he was so embarrassed, he didn't want to hear from me. He fell several more times, several more days in a row, because he didn't want to learn how to break from his dad. I get that. He had found like his little ounce of independence. Go off, man. You know, I'm supporting that. And at the same time, how much easier could he have made the progress if he had been humble enough to ask, listen, or if I had been just a better, if I had been humble enough to read a book about teaching my kid how to ride a bike. Okay, so there's that. But unity comes through humility and that is a messy work, y'all. That is a humbling work. It doesn't often feel good. It requires, and it always, almost always, not always, uh, almost always feels like a weakness. Almost always feels like you are, you are losing something. When, when humility is required, when help is asked, when you need to ask for help, when you realize you've been wrong, because we've all been wrong, and when you realize you've said a wrong thing, you know how many times I've had to apologize for stories I've told? I'll probably have to apologize right now for telling a story already, right? Like, but it's, it's not weakness uh, in, its, in its core. It can bring us together. It's exposed that we're all humans, and that should bring us together, but our uh, sin instinct, I think, and what often gets overlooked about so much of what happens in unity work is that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We have a real, like, there's a real spiritual battle happening, and there's a real enemy. I, you know, I, I believe in those things. I believe that there's a real, like, there's a real darkness that exists in the world. Lots of names for it, all of those things. We don't have to do that. But what, but what we need to catch is that there's a real tension towards doing something really good, and division is the enemy of that. Uh, and it's so easy to instinct towards distance or uh, repulsion or difference in just distance. And the unity work that makes it so messy is that we have to be humble enough to extend a hand of, okay, conciliation. Okay, I'm wrong. Okay, I wanna hear you. Okay, I accept that we disagree and, not but, and. And we can and God is in the center, and we can. And we, there's so much to be found and worked there, but it's a really difficult thing to do, except for when you understand that when one part suffers, we all suffer. To ignore the pain and suffering of a person or a community, of a, of a system, of uh, an action, to ignore that, it damages the body, it damages yourself. So it's messy and it's humbling in all of the forms. Uh, but that can be a strength. So in verse 27, it says, now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, and second, uh, prophets, and third, teachers, then miracles, uh, then gifts of healing, uh, of helping, of guidance, and of different uh, kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No, eagerly desire the gifts. Okay, that was a lot to look at and to read, but I want to go back to the first line. In verse 27, it says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you has one part of it. And then he goes and lists lots of practical ways to be a part of it. To, to, he names some of the roles, right? Teacher, apostle, prophet. Those are uncommon words. It's an uncommon book you know, uh, but what they mean is and what they represent are your parts in church and are your parts in community and the things that God really deeply designed us all for. Uh, 
in, in the ways that we live in and, and show his love. But that is a really hard thing if you haven't become aware of like your part in the, in the community, in the body, if you haven't really stepped up to that challenge, because it is a challenge, and if you haven't really embraced how humbling it's gonna be to be a part of community and, and ask for help, receive it, then be able to give it again, that's a humbling journey. And then there is now a whole participation action required. It says we all have a part. You have to be participating in unity work. It's messy because you need to be aware and humble, and you have to participate. There's no such thing as a Christian who exists on like the warm-up bench on the team. All of us get in the game. We all participate as our part. And that's a really intimidating thing, uh, especially because in, in worship settings, in church settings, we often uh, only see people participating in like a, a job like mine or a role like mine and some of the serving roles back there or uh, on stage playing an instrument. There are so many ways to be a part of the body that you have to find out. It's work to find out. One of my, it's, it's like one of the most common things I hear and have heard in my ministry career is uh, I don't know where I fit or I don't fit at that church. Or I, and, and people have even asked me, you know, like, Corey, do you feel like you fit here? I'm like, I don't know if I fit here or not. I think we've all got to do the work to fit here. I think we've all got to do the work to fit with each other because we're here. It's not do I fit here, it's are we going to work to fit together? Are we going to work to make the puzzle pieces of our stories and of our lives turn into something really beautiful and united because together we can do something pretty incredible? Or are we going to allow the things that are uncomfortable, awkward, messy, and weird be what keeps us ugly, awesome, or awful, and awkward, and weird? And I, I just plead with you that we could not do that that we could take some time to consider, to, to hear the words that I'm saying to you that you might have like lots of thoughts on or none at all. You're like, just shut up, let's go. Like, I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't believe any of this. I'm, I'm full, like tilt, I wanna be a pastor. I don't know where you are. But what I know is that we could all search our hearts and find out what is God calling me to participate in? Um, because so often, when you step into participation, especially in a church community, you can find some of the deep things that God designed you for. I, my dad was a pastor. I never wanted to be a pastor. I never wanted to be uh, a, a Christian on a staff at a church. That was like the least desirable thing to me until someone invited me to come and serve and be a part of their thing. And what I discovered about myself there was that I really enjoyed this part of what I do, but I really enjoyed the coffee part. I really enjoyed the sitting and sharing. I really enjoyed having to study God's word because it helped me. And so I learned something about myself and I had to then participate. I became aware. I was humble enough um, to ask for some help. And I started participating. And in the human body, to go back to Paul here, in the human body, there are very un few unnecessary parts of our biology. They're almost all really important. And the ones that haven't been important, like they become obsolete, right? Isn't that what the appendix is until it explodes? It's, and, and don't be that. Don't be that kind of a person or Christian. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, there's appendixes in all of our lives where they're just like, you're, they're there and they exist in your community and then they don't really contribute much until they explode. And then like, you're like, oh, wow, you okay? Uh, and it, don't be that person because what that person does puts a lot of stress on the body. And it's not wrong to put stress on the body. It's wrong to not understand and be aware, to be humble enough to ask for help. And it's, it's just, we need to participate. Otherwise, we're creating opportunity for division. And that's where, that's where things go so far wrong. Uh, and so unity is messy, but it requires participation. It requires participation. 
And I want to close with the words of Paul um, in chapter 12, verse 31, where he says at the end, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And I like the way that Paul talks to us because he gives us strong truth. And he gives us fun analogies, right? He talks about body parts and uses all kind of silly language sometimes. I like this, this analogy he rides through with the body because I think it helps us understand. And then he says, I will show you the most excellent way. I will show you the most excellent way. And what, what happens next is he writes chapter 13, which is, uh, if you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard chapter 13. It, it goes like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. You know, this, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels and do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And Paul goes on to write some beautiful language to describe love and specifically the love that Christ gave to us on the cross. And so he finishes with this line about unity and diversity and participating in messy church. He gives us this line. Now I'm going to show you the most excellent way. What he's saying is now unity requires all of these things and the most excellent way to do them is love. And that's next week, Corinthians 13. I'm not going to read too much more of that. That's next week. Come back because it can be great. But Corinthians 13, he says the, that love is the filter you put on. And when you are aware and you are humble and you are participating, love is achievable in all of its excellent and unconditional and Christ-designed ways for you to experience and for the body to benefit from. And I only have like a few uh, great pictures of this on earth, of what I think God's like love in its purest, most good form could look like. Uh, because I think it's really hard when you find something like pure and genuine uh, to represent love and really to kind of paint a picture of unity. Um, I have another kid picture and another kid video uh, that I want to show you. But before we show it, um, I want to say if you don't like seeing videos of my kids and you don't think they're cute, shut up and <laughs> leave, don't talk to me. Uh, but, but embrace this because what is happening in this video, my daughter just turned five and... She had received most of her presents uh, before this video was taken, and it came in the mail. It's from my brother. And uh, I, I want you to see what happens when she gets to open this gift. She had really thought she had already got all of her gifts, so this was like a kind of a big moment for her. All right. Go. What is that? Are you crying? I love it so much. You love it so much. What do you say to Uncle Kyle and Amanda? Thank you. Is that the best birthday present ever? Oh my I goodness. think she's crying. <laughs> okay, there's a couple of things happening here. We do, she does have other pillows. I don't make her sleep without a pillow. <laughs> I saw the look some of you gave me and I was like, oh, whoa, gotta clarify. Um, <laughs> I lost that side of the room. Thanks for staying with me. Uh, what's happening here is that that pillow is uh, my daughter's favorite TV show which she typically only watches with like me or her mom because her brother doesn't like it. So my brother called me before her birthday and he asked, what does Addie like? And I said, oh, she really likes Cookie Swirl C. He's like, oh, okay. He found that $10 pillow on Amazon, right? 
And what we talk about and what we saw in her was that she felt so acknowledged. My brother was aware of her birthday. He was humble enough to ask, what do you desire? What do you like, right? He sought out information. He sought unity and relationship, right? And it's, of course, he's my brother and she's a kid, but catch what's happened is that because humility and awareness were present and he participated in action, love could abound. And love in an unconditional form, I've never seen just such a pure outpouring of like, oh my goodness, love. And so we can have that as a body of believers, as a ministry, as a church. That can exist, and that's what Christ came to give us. Unity is messy, and it requires love. And love requires sacrifice, and it requires so many things. But to be a unified body, uh, we, we need to be aware of the impact of our actions, the understanding that to create balance and forward progress on the bicycle, there's gotta be some awareness and humility to learn where are we gonna go? Are we gonna go left? Are we gonna right? Are we gonna break here? Are we not? To know, okay, I can participate in this. I'm, maybe I'm not the best at, or maybe I don't feel like I belong, or pastor, you don't know my blank baggage, or I don't really get some of this. All of that is messy and welcome in the unity process. In fact, that's what makes it unity is that it's diverse and different and we work to be at the table together. So I'm gonna pray and the the band's gonna sing uh, and lead us in song. And I'm not gonna tell you how to respond. I'm not gonna say, I want you to do this, that, or the other thing. What I'd like for us to do is to just be unified. It's my plea, it's my beg. I'd love to see some of you who are at odds with one another or with family members. Do what some of scripture says, go and seek peace. Do some of the unity work as we sing. Do it in your heart. Man, personally, maybe it's a, I gotta text somebody. I gotta seek some unity. I've gotta, I've gotta commit to some things. Maybe it's finding a place to participate and serve. Maybe it's a way to get engaged in community or some ways to practically show love. I don't know how God is designing you to seek unity, but I know that when you know Christ, you desire and you should desire unity with everybody. And so I wanna pray. And as we, as we pray, I just would ask you to consider How is God calling me to respond? How is he calling me to live for unity? How is he calling me to create an environment where love can abound, where people can experience the kind of joy my girl did, where worship and and teaching and environments at church can be what draws us together and let that outpour into our communities and our homes. So let's pray together. God, I thank you for who you are and how you speak to us. I thank you for the differences we carry and the pain that's informed those differences. God, I thank you that in all of that is your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sin, that we might know unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And in that, we get to seek you and your your peace and your relationship that you desire for all of us. God, I thank you for the mess that that is and how you are faithfully with us in that mess. God, I thank you for your son's love. I pray that it moves us now. In your name we pray.